This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. Get in on the conversation at 866-979-ESPN. Now, here's your host, the professor, John Clayton. And give us a call at 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Thoughts on the Seahawks going into training camp, things that you're looking for, things that you're worried about. Uh, talk about you know your thoughts on the offense, also on, on any other team. What's your thoughts on them as they head into camp? Tuesday, of course, is reporting day for the rest of the league. I mean, we've already got Dallas and Pittsburgh already in camp, practicing, doing all those different things because they've got the Hall of Fame game. Uh, and, of course, we're also taking your text questions at 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's text line. Uh, let's go to Ed in Denver. Hey, Ed. Morning, John. Happy Saturday to you and Pat. Haven't talked in a while. Yeah, good to talk to you again. Um, lots of things to talk about. I missed what apparently was a great call by Jack. One sounds like oh, you fantastic. were talking about Richard Sherman. Mm-hmm. Um, I, sh- I sure hope that gets straightened around. So sad to see uh, such a good person fall so far. And there's no question. I mean, he's falling he far. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, uh, and, and of course, what Jacqueline was saying, because she knows this whole thing, is that uh, what she wonders is that, uh, is he suffering from CTE uh, affecting the brain? And of course, I mean, he did have <clears throat> concussion or so, <clears throat> and even one concussion can start that off. And obviously, he's been having problems this entire off season. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I, I didn't hear the context of what she was asking about CTE, but that certainly is something to talk about um, and something that's really affecting a lot of football players, it seems, and uh, certainly is front and center, and so much work is going into helmets to try to prevent that from happening. Um, It's hard to believe that it's so difficult to make a helmet that uh, really has a huge impact on CTE, but I think they're getting there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I know that uh, <clears throat> Doug Baldwin is involved in the company here in Seattle that does the best helmets. Uh, I'm, I, I even think that uh, Richard has some investments in that too, if I'm not mistaken. And of course, uh, you know, but uh, you, you say what you want. It's like uh, it's still a matter. Helmet or no helmet, I mean, you know, your you, your head colla- crashes into a, a a player, and also if you fall to the ground, I mean, your head may fall back and just hit the ground. And so sometimes you just don't know, you know, how those concussions can come up. And then of course, if it develops into CTE, then of course that's even worse. So it just, we just hope that you know Richard gets the right help, gets the right treatment, and gets through this thing because again, I mean, he was in a serious state in that Tuesday night. Yeah, no, absolutely. You never know how your life is going to change drastically in just a moment. Uh, in that regard, the coach Greg Knapp from the Denver mm-hmm. Bron- former Broncos coach, that happened to him. And I myself was just in a bicycling accident, accident and uh, tore my biceps tendon. So oh, wow. things happen so fast sometimes that uh, you just don't know how to avoid these things and you do the best that you can. Um, but things happen, you know. Mm-hmm. No question. Hey, two questions, uh, though. Yeah. Um, D.D. Westbrook, I mean, he's a pretty big name, um, but uh, he did tear his ACL last year, right? So is right. he even available to play this year? 
Well, I mean, that's what they're checking out. I mean, you know, you can come back. I mean, you got a lot of guys right now that are going to be reporting to camp that had ACLs, and you know, they go on the physically unable to perform list, you know, waiting to see when they can practice and all that stuff. I mean, Didi's coming in, and they'll check out, you know, how soon he will be able to practice and if they want to sign him. Uh, but, uh, you know, they've done such a better job on ACLs because, I mean, you, you get in there and you have, you know, some surgery done a little bit uh, early to try to minimize what all work has to be done. But uh, it's a serious injury. But, again, it's one that you can come back from. I mean, take a look at uh, Frank Gore, for example. And, again, I mean, even though the key came into the league and he had two ACLs, that had been hurt and then uh you know certainly has had a great career and so it's like you can bounce back from it but again it's like uh you know you you check it out and see because i mean dd a couple years ago was really good and then last year he missed you know the whole season but uh you know that that could be an interesting signing yeah no absolutely uh i guess i'm thinking john more from the standpoint that i believe his acl tear happened um you know like not early in the season but Late, like at yeah. least midway through the season. So, um, you know, that making it, I would think, harder to be available. And mm-hmm. just look at Rashad Penny last year and so forth. Uh, but I was also interested in two other things. is like, which Westbrooks is he related to? And then uh, the salary cap uh, looks like over the cap says the Seahawks have $8 million in salary cap space, I'm surprised they have that much. The last time I looked, they only had one or two million left. So, mm-hmm. how's that all developed? And, and again, which Westbrooks is uh, Dee Westbrook related to? Uh, that one I don't know. I don't. I don't know about uh, which Westbrook he was related to. All I know is that uh, he was a good player and a good receiver, <clears throat> and you know is certainly of interest. I know he's had another visit or so. So, like you can see, he's starting to really you know perk up and look like he has a chance to play, but we'll, we'll find out a little bit more once he comes in this week. I hope he does. Uh, if you read the Times article today, they sound like uh, Minnesota may sign him before he even leaves there as he's working out with them today, supposedly. Mm-hmm. So I hope he does give Seattle a chance because, at least, again, according to that story as well, he was originally... Um, headed directly to Seattle to be evaluated for signing. And then, like Keenan McCardell, his former coach from mm-hmm. Jacksonville, said, hey, wait a minute, won't you let us give uh, – won't you give us a chance to uh, sign you and so forth? So I'm a little worried about that, but yeah, I think it would be yeah. really cool if he became a Seahawk. Yeah, and I still think another option still could be, if he comes back off suspension, is Josh Gordon <clears throat> because uh, – you know, Josh, uh, you know, he, I think he's cleaned things up this off season. I know that according to Adam Schefter, he went through two months of testing and uh, which is three days a week and he passed every test. So, you know, for, so that that's encouraging. And I think, it, you know, he's still got some foot, good football left in him. And hey, like anything else, it's like, uh, you know, adding adding a player is not bad, particularly you want to try to get as much talent as you possibly can. Absolutely. Uh, Josh Gordon's a force, has been. It'd be terrific to see him come back from whatever problems uh, were bothering him and mm-hmm. have him be like comeback player of the year or something like that. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a little optimistic. It's a little, but, I mean, that's, I think it's a little bit too much. I mean, again, he's not going to be a starter. So to have a, a non-starter coming back as a comeback player of the year, I think that's a little bit too much. 
Yeah, you never know, John. Things happen. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Anyway, have nice to talk again, and have a great Saturday, John. Okay, yeah, hey, thank you very much. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. And we're also taking your text questions. We're taking them at 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's uh, text line uh, from the 425. How do you think the 2021 rookie class will fare this year? After everything that has happened over the last two years, it seems like they might be at a disadvantage, and there's no question they are. I mean, you've got a lot of the guys, particularly some, you know, like about five or six in the first round that didn't even play at last year because they opted out because of COVID-19. And then, of course, you've got, uh, you know, even like the UW guys uh, that were drafted. I mean, they only had four games. And so you got a lot of guys that uh, really don't have much of a resume since uh, 2019. So I think that puts them at a disadvantage. And, of course, I mean, this this draft had you know less eligible players uh, than we've ever seen because, again, because of the pandemic, you had the uh, the super seniors, and the super seniors are the guys that uh, you know can go back this year in 2021 and have a second senior season. So that means next year's draft's going to be that much better and that much deeper. But this year's draft's going to be uh, thinner, and of course, a lot of those guys it may take a little bit more time <clears throat> to learn things and come in and be at an advantage early uh, in their uh, rookie season. So again, I think that there is going to be a disadvantage for this year's draft class, and we'll see how pronounced that is. I I mean, I know that, for example, once you got to uh, after the fifth round, I mean, it was pretty thin. I mean, there were certain positions that really had more undrafted uh, ratings on guys than even drafted ratings. So that's not good. From the 206, do you think NFL's COVID rules will help convince players and coaches to get vaccines? Uh, do you think the rules are too harsh or just right? Well, I mean, I think that uh, it's so important for just about most players to have vaccines. And again, you can't force a player to have vaccines but i think that the rules are so harsh that i know the players association doesn't like it but i think that uh, you know it's important for them to get vaccines because i mean again think about the issues that are going to be there i mean if like for example they have to unvaccinated players have to wear masks at all time in the building and if they don't now we find out today they can be fined fourteen thousand six hundred and fifty dollars for each protocol incident. You know they're not allowed to eat with their teammates. They're not allowed to be on the team charter, so they have to fly separately. You know, they uh, you know can't be involved in big parties and things of that nature, or big outings and things of that nature. If they go on the road, you know they uh, you know can't uh, they have to stay in the hotel. They can't get out of the hotel. And naturally, it's like uh, you wonder how some of your teammates are going to be because you're a teammate, but you're not like a regular teammate because you're not integrating that as much with uh, with your team. So I think that it's very important. So I know the rules are harsh, but I I think that they need to be harsh. From the 253, how are the Rams looking as they get ready for camp? Seems like the NFC West will be as competitive as usual this year, even more competitive, I think, you know, because what you're looking at is that you've got four teams that have the ability to win eight or nine games, if not more. And, you know, basically you have four teams that can be playoff contenders. And so when you put all that together, then I think that that gives you an opportunity to uh, see how competitive this division is. It's the best division in football. Each team has uh, quarterbacks. I mean, and one of the reasons why this division is so competitive is that, you know, 
you got the quarterbacks and you also got aggressive front offices. Like, for example, you know, Seattle goes out and they trade for Quandre Diggs and they trade for Jamal Adams. I mean, you look at the Rams, they go trade for uh, Jalen Ramsey. You look at the 49ers, they trade for Trent Williams. You look at the uh, uh, Carolina, I mean, the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, they trade for Marcus Hudson, the center, and they, you know, they signed J.J. Watt. And so because of that, I mean, these teams have really built themselves up and are good. So we'll see how that all plays out. And so I think it's going to be a good division. But as far as the Rams, you know, I think right now, uh, I think teams are over. I mean, people are overrating them a little bit because, again, they suffered more losses than any team in this division. I mean, four starters on defense, a good backup tight end, a good third wide receiver, a starting center. Uh, then, of course, Cam Akers, uh, who I thought was going to have a breakout year at running back, he blows out his Achilles. And so you throw all that together, and I think that really sets them back uh, again. And they weren't able to add much this offseason. You know, they had 11 unrestricted free agents, and you know, 10 of them uh, left to go to other teams because they couldn't resign them because of the cap. Now, Matthew Stafford's, I think, going to make them better at the quarterback position, but are they going to be able to run the ball as well? And I'd say right now they probably won't. And that's so important for their game because they need that good running game. From the uh, 4 to 5, can you break down all the recent changes in college football? Uh, will be good or bad for the Pac-12? Well, I think the, the big thing is now they've got a new commissioner. That, I think, is a good thing because they certainly needed that because it wasn't working out uh, with the previous commissioner. And so that... I think looks good, and I think that uh, they can get better because I think they can kind of revise themselves. Uh, you know, if they can get BYU in, if they can, you know, get maybe I don't know if a Texas A&M or something like that would that be a consideration? Uh, certainly, I think getting Boise State in the Pac-12 uh, would be good because they have to look at trying to revise some things and realign. But right now, I mean, it's to the point where you know uh, USC and UCLA and all that, you know, they had been not as much factors as they should be. And, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the revenues down and all those different things. But I think that they have a chance to bounce back. Uh, and, of course, you know, I know we're going to talk to Dave Grosby at the bottom of the hour about the Texas-Oklahoma situation, them trying to get into the SEC. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Robert in Kingsgate. Hey, Robert. Hey, John, thanks for taking my call. I have a hypothetical question for you. All right. Bryce Young from Alabama, he's going to be taking over as QB over there. Yeah. And he's already made what the Washington Post is saying, $1 million through the name and likeness agreement that uh, has gone on in college football. Mm-hmm. So if he stays there for, let's say, three years, he could possibly make at least 3 to $4 million. Now, this is my hypothetical question to you. Since players now are going to be making all this money if they stay in college and the SEC wants to build a super league and the Pac-12 is struggling just trying to get, you know, Texas Tech and Oklahoma, you know, to join us. You know, I'm, 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 I shouldn't say struggling. They haven't even asked, but, you know, maybe, you know, try to get them. 
my hypothetical question is, do you think there's going to be a problem in the NFL if players in college leagues say, you know what, I've already made enough money and I really don't need to go waste myself in the NFL making minimum wage, you know, compared to, you know, like 600000 a year, I guess they make, you know, for a rookie if they're not, you know, the elite players. Why, why, why should I do that? Why should I, I should just stay here? I've made my money and I'm good and I get an education. Is that, do you think that could happen in the NFL? You know, like a lot of players are saying, you know what, I'm not even going to go. I've made my money and I'm good. I, I tend to think not because, again, it's like it's, you, you, football is their career and they want to continue in that career and you make money in the NFL. Certainly, uh, you know, the players that are, you know, you're not going to have some of the lower edge players making so much that they give up football. So, no, I, I don't think that'll happen. I think that, uh, Certainly what you're looking at is, you know, the quarterbacks, the top running backs, some of the top offensive players, you know, they're going to get mm-hmm. that and some of the top defensive players. But, I mean, you know, like if you're an offensive lineman, are you going to, to get that? Because, unfortunately, except for a couple that are really good, I mean, you're mostly anonymous. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't see that happening. I guess it could happen to a couple players. But, you know, why at the age of 20, 21, 22, do you want to give up what your career aspiration is and that's playing football? I guess, you know, the point is, is that you're, you're watching all these players. I know you're from Pittsburgh and yeah. I, my first, my first team before the Seahawks came was the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then I, I'm reading the news on all these legends that I grow up with or taking their lives because of C, you know, CTE. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, maybe these college players are finally starting to realize, you know what, you know, it's not worth it. You know, I'm seeing these great guys, you know, you know, going through this horrible, you know, problems and the NFL's not even taking care of them back then. You know, they weren't, you know, and kind of just like, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking that maybe what would happen is some of these players just don't join the NFL. And like what you're saying, the unlucky ones that didn't get a lot of money in college will join, but the quality of NFL will not be as good. No, I, I still I, I still think it'd be okay. I mean, again, you may have some, uh, you know, because I mean, you can see certainly even how colleges are affected because uh, you know you have so many more mothers that are basically uh, not happy uh, letting their uh, kids play football because they worry about injuries and things of that nature, and so that has maybe watered down a little bit of the talent going into college and high school. But uh, you know, ultimately, I think if you make it through there, you're going to try to continue what you do and not worry as much about the risk. Because, again, it's not like, uh, you know, this could be a long career. I mean, you know, I think what the average mm-hmm. career is like over a little over three years. And so because of that, uh, you know, you don't have all the, uh, you know, it's like you, you still want to stay in and you may not get as many hits. But again, obviously, we see with the most likely the Richard Sherman situation and others, you know, you, you can suffer some things that uh, really turn your life around and make it a problem. And we, we do know that, well, the one, the one thing that was interesting, I still remember, you know, particularly those guys in the eighties. I mean, they always took the tack that, uh, you know, playing football, you're not going to live past 55, 56 years old. I mean, you're going to be gone by then, but you can see now that, uh, you know, you know, players and ex-players can live until they're, you know, 70, 80 and all those things. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, uh, you know, but and, and again, the, the, the great thing is and, uh, you know, there's there's so much more out there as far as, you know, medical improvements. And so you you take that into account and then, uh, you know, it, 
you know, you can still do it. But, uh, you know, there could be some of that, but I can't see a lot of it because, again, you know, if you're a football player, you want to play football and you have money in your pocket. And, of course, uh, you see where it goes as far as, you know, because, again, if you're going to be you know, an Alabama quarterback or an Oklahoma quarterback, uh, you're going to get the seven-figure deals and stuff. But uh, in the end, I think that uh, you still want to continue playing the game. Now, uh, a, a quick question, I, and I'll take this answer off the air. What do you think of the WSC coach um, not wanting to get vaccinated and not wanting to tell people um, vaccinated? My late brother who passed away, he couldn't get vaccinated mm-hmm. because he had open-heart surgery, and the doctor said it just won't don't do it you know and you know so he you know he was fine until he passed away but i'm wondering why wouldn't he just say you know what i'm not doing it for health reasons enough said yeah yeah. And again, again, I mean, the Washington State coach, I mean, uh, he didn't say there was any medical reason he's not doing it. He just doesn't want to do it. Right. And so, yeah, what I, what I look at is that, uh, you know, you, you need leadership. And, I, you know, you can see college don't, doesn't have the same thing in the NFL, because if you don't get vaccinated, you can't be on the field. As simple as that. I mean, you're you're kind of ostracized and all that stuff if you're a coach. And so we, we watched that uh, you know, with Rick Dennison and the New Orleans co-offensive co- uh, offensive line coach that, uh, you know, they're kind of out out until they take a vaccination. And if they don't take the vaccination, they're not going to be allowed back in. So I, I think you know, it, it won. I mean, you, I, I, as much vaccination as you can have and it can you can't force anybody to take it. But it's like uh, I, I think it just shows good leadership if you if you take it, because, again, it's like uh, it's it's I mean, I got mine and it's not that bad. I mean, it took, uh, you know, uh, one hour. It didn't have any symptoms. There are some symptoms and stuff like that. But in the end, I think that uh, if you're a coach, you need to get the vaccination. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Coming up, our weekly dose of the Graz with Dave Grosby. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. Time for our weekly dose of the Graz with Dave Grosby. And Dave, we got to talk a lot of college football. By the way, have they, I, I'm assuming this happened, but I've never seen the formal uh, you know, announcement or press release, but you know, they have, have they expanded the playoffs in the future to 12, the, uh, what was it? 12 teams. Is, is that officially happened yet? That's a good question, John. I, I can't, I can't answer that. For yeah, I, I can't uh, either because I, I, I know I, that one week, that one weekend, it was supposed to be on a Saturday that they were going to either vote for it or do anything else. I know it's not going to be obviously next year. It'd be like about three years in advance, but I've never seen the, the, the formal word whether they've done that or not. I'm telling you, John, it's immaterial. What we're going to see here in a matter of about uh, 18 to 24 months is an NFL of college football, mm-hmm. a 32-team conference uh, that, that's going to have its own rules. It's going to be run run by its by its guys, and and the NCAA will not be involved at all. Wow. Yeah. So, so this so, is what? the this is the first first droplets today, right? The, the story with Texas and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're going to the SEC. Um, you're going to see other teams, you know, be willing to, to go there. You're going to hear the Super Conference talk uh, start. You're not going to hear anything from the NCAA, and I think inevitably it's going to roll towards that towards that sooner probably than later. Is that good or is that bad? Depends on what you mean by good or bad, or who you mean by good or bad. It's certainly not good for the uh, the stuff shirts in the NCAA have been making money off off um, college athletes for years and years. It's um, it's probably good for the college athletes 
though I think that the fact that there's some uncertainty as to how it would be set up will make you wonder a little bit about that. So uh, I, I think that there, there's probably good and bad in it for everyone, but I do think that it's inevitable, and it's, it's because of the, the, the real um, lack of, of moving forward that the NCAA did that they're going to lose, they're going to lose jurisdiction over all this. I think, mm-hmm. and this is just my opinion, of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, but I mean, I know that there's been talk of the five super conferences eventually going into you know four super conferences with 16 teams each. Uh, do you think that could be out? Uh, overdone and outdated, and because you bring up the idea I, of a 30, I, I, 32 team conference. Yeah, I think it's going to be 32. I think you're going to get the the big guys involved right away, um, and you know that's a conference as as you know uh, that that they can play each other and have full schedules, and, and um, it would it'll it'll work out for 11 or 12 games. So, I mean that that definitely is not an issue or a problem there. Um, it leaves some schools out in the cold, and it'll depend on on how. How they work their 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 everything, I suppose. If they'll if they'll come up with 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 another conference below that, I mean, call it a quote unquote minor league conference. Uh, it's it's all gonna it's all gonna be changing. And I know for the traditionalists, it's it's, a, it's upsetting, and it should be. Uh, this is all a, a net result of the NCAA failing to adapt to changing times, trying to insist on on running their system, which I used to joke with you, John, how many years have I called it a crumbling Eastern European empire? Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. mean, it's been that for a dozen years now. So uh, the fact that it's going to end and it's going to end messy, um, I don't think comes as a surprise to anyone. And I, I'll be completely honest with you, I, I have a hard time predicting what the future is going to look like. Yeah, because, again, it's such a changing landscape as we speak. I mean, and it's... it's... But right now, the big story <laughs> is Oklahoma and Texas. Them going yeah. to the SEC and... And, um, you know, what, what the Big 12 does or doesn't do about that, because there's really nothing they can do about that. Yeah. It seems like the sacrificial lamb right now is the Big 12. Why is that? That's a great question. Um, <clears throat> I don't know that I think they're the sacrificial lamb necessarily. I think that they had the two most attractive teams that aren't in the SEC the Big 12, or the Big 10, forgive me, or the ACC. I mean, Texas and Oklahoma, uh, if you're looking at it like, like they're looking at it now as franchises, quote-unquote. The ACC, by the way, John, they they try to get Texas and Oklahoma to come into their conference. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Atlantic Coast Conference means nothing. I mean, it just means it just means pl- teams. So they're, they're, they are, I think the, the reason why they're going after those guys and not the Big 12 per se is that Texas and Oklahoma, if you just said, who are the most attractive conferences schools not in the sec and the sec is the power conference right now uh you know they or ohio state michigan they're the ones who come up and and you know the the big 10's got to get its act together too because ohio state and michigan a little bit less but ohio state's going to look at this and say well we, we we need to be involved with this we need to be in this big conference so uh i'll be curious to see how fast the dominoes fall mm-hmm. Where do, now how do you see but the, it could be could be fast how do you see the pac-12 shaping up out of this that's a real good question because the Pac-12 is on an island. It's out all by itself at this point. I mean, it certainly has attractive teams. Washington would be one of them. You, you know, USC, UCLA, Oregon are, are probably the others. I don't know that Stanford and Cal have the kind of look that that, that these kind of sports quote-unquote conferences would, would be looking for. But you know, there there's got to be a spot for them in there somewhere. So if it goes to a 32-team super conference, you know, they they're the likeliest teams to be picked off out west i would say those four mm-hmm. but can't you but see they're the, kind of it they're, they're at the mercy that they, they can't they got to wait and see what happens 
Yeah, but don't you think the Pac-12 can expand? I mean, you know, uh, see about adding BYU, Boise State, maybe taking a Pac-12 school or so, or a Pac-12, a big tour. Well, they could, but let, let me put it to you this way, John. Um, what if you're, you're USC, UCLA, and you say, well, we're going to add, you can stay in the Pac-12 and we're yeah. going to add a Boise State game to your schedule, or you can play in a super conference and have Alabama come to town. Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess. I, I think that the, uh, so, I mean, We'll see. We will definitely see. But um, college football, you know, we knew this change was coming, and uh, it could have been handled a little bit better, but it hasn't been. So uh, I, I can only tell you that I think it's going to be messy, and I think it's going to be fast, and I think it's going to be happening in the next two years. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to think about. And uh, what, do you, what do you think about independent schools like BYU and Notre Dame? What happens to them? Great question. I mean, I think, I think Notre Dame is already halfway in the ACC, uh, maybe three quarters of the way in the ACC, so you know that they are the other extremely attractive uh, property out there, and and I, I think that they're that they're likely to stay there. Yeah. And I don't know that BYU John has has the kind of appeal that they think they have. So uh, I, I I definitely don't know what the future is going to be. If you know you're, we all know that there are what 100 100 plus major you know Division One football programs, and I'm talking about a 32 team super conference that leaves a lot of guys looking over the fence. Mm-hmm. So I mean that, that's it'll it'll they'll have to they'll have to come up with something, and uh, it'll be a hodgepodge. It'll be a mismatch, and and you know it, the players will obviously be the ones that will will wind up going on cross country trips all the time, this that and the other thing. But they'll have the potential of some income coming in, so it'll be a different different scenario. But uh, it really is really is in my opinion going to be very different here in the next couple of years. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. And of course, one of the things we're already seeing different is the fact that now players can get endorsements and, you know, stories right. come out that uh, the Alabama quarterback, according to uh, Nick Saban, uh, as opposed to being called coach Saban, Nick Saban uh, say, <laughs> saying that he's already got seven figure, uh, seven figure endorsements. Uh, and I think, you know, it's not too far away for the Oklahoma quarterback, uh, well, how do, you, how do you see I'll that? I'll tell you something interesting up? about that, John. I'll tell you something interesting about that. It's the one thing that, that you know, the law of unintended consequences really, really, really plays here. And I think this was a story in the Washington Post that, that the Seattle Times may have printed. But, uh, you know, we know about, you know, the, the, the argument that, well, you're going to make the big schools bigger. And, and, you know, how can that already be? They're already the number one in this, that, and the other thing. And, and you will see big, big stories like that. But here, here's another one for you. There, there's a, a pair of uh, volleyball players women's volleyball players at Fresno State, John, who I don't know how or, or what they did, but they have something like, um, I think the story said, 27 million followers on TikTok. Now, John, you are an advertiser, and you're trying to advertise to the, the most popular of, of all markets, the most desirable of all markets, which is which is teenagers, basically. Yeah. And here's, a, here's two teenagers who have, seven, who have 17 million followers. Where are you going to advertise? Mm-hmm. I, what, what my point is going to be is that while we'll see the big the big money deals that we expect, probably for Alabama quarterbacks, this, that, and the other thing, we're going to see money deals in places we don't expect it because no one can anticipate the impact of of um, of social media and all this. I mean, if you're going to advertise and you get, you, you get information that hey they, they're talking to they got 17 million followers, mm-hmm. all of whom are, are potential student you know business. Clients of ours, you know, they want to buy our product. We're going to go with them. So uh, it's going to be, to me, very interesting how that all shakes down. Sure, there's going to be big money where we expect it to be, but there's going to be a lot of money where we don't expect it to be. And here's where the NCAA made another mistake, because what they could have done is said, look, we are providing the platform for all of this. So you give us 5%. 
and uh, there's no problem with it. And they probably could have negotiated that. They probably could have done that, and that would have been a revenue stream for, for, for in particular the, the schools that are, that are that are struggling with it, if they've got students that have big social media following. So, uh, that is another completely unknown unknown scenario, John, and it's going to play out a lot a lot bigger than just the Alabama and Oklahoma quarterbacks getting big money. Yeah, no doubt. And so that, that's a fascinating thing. And of course, I mean, it's such a it different is. time in in college football that you kind of wonder, it's like, wow. Your, the changes and all that stuff and the money and all that stuff. I mean, it is kind of remarkable to see uh, where that's all heading. M- meanwhile, the Mariners uh, had a good win last mm-hmm. night, uh, four, four mm-hmm. to three. You know, bad, you know, had, had the lead in the course of three wild pitches set up what turned out to be the win. Yeah, I mean that was that was one that, that you, you say. Look, if you're a good team, you you figure out a way to win this game, and and um, you know it did not look like it was going to happen early on. But Kikuchi stayed in there. They they finally got Manea out. Uh, excuse me. They they finally got uh, the the uh, the other pitchers in Oakland wobbling a little bit. Uh, they they managed to be in a position. Put themselves. I guess the way I would put it, John, is they put themselves in a position to win. And uh, Kikuchi, I think, you know, it was an impressive start. I mean, he he did give up a home run or two, and and uh, he, he had his some wobbly moments, but much much better than this last time out. So I think, you know, considering he had two really bad outings, to see what he did yesterday, I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was a career high of 12 strikeouts. Mm-hmm. That was that was very very good, and then you know getting some good luck, you know, with as you talked about the wild pitches and and being able to close it down against the team in, in Oakland. Boy, you, you see why Oakland wins, don't you, man? Yeah. They just grind and grind and grind. They are they are a tough team to beat. They just they milk everything out of every at bat they can, and and um, it was it was a good win. And and you got two real good games coming up this weekend with those guys as well. So this most important stretch of home game so far for this Mariner team uh, is off to a pretty good start you've got to win the series with oakland though and that means you got to win today and of course uh the big one of the news stories yesterday is that and i just say thank you uh rafael montero was uh, designated mm-hmm. for assignment i mean and, and what you wonder is that uh you know how many games in the times that they put him out here did he, did he cost i know he cost uh, one, one game but i mean, remember that one game a couple weeks ago it was two to one and he comes in and gives up two runs and it was four to one and he ended up losing four to one you know limited that chance to win that you know, what would have been a one-run game? I mean, you know, so he's designated for assignment, but man, he—I mean—he was one of the worst we've seen in the last couple of years with the Mariners. Yeah, I, I wish I could counter what you're saying, but um, I can't. He was—he was ineffective. Uh, you know, whether there were balls that weren't hit hard or whatnot, uh, he just could not get guys out. He—he he blew six saves, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when when he was having that opportunity, so uh, he was very costly. But uh, DFA'd, uh, and he's on his way somewhere else. Uh, we'll we'll see. We we likely won't see him again here with this with this front office in place. Uh, you would hope not. I mean, because again, it's like yeah. I, I mean, what what I kept wondering about, and I know Pat uh, would sit there, my wife, and uh, say, well, why why is he in there? And of course, every time he's in there, he costs them. I mean, it's like blown saves, uh, blown runs, all those different things. And it's like, please don't put him out there. Sometimes you know we, we've seen it. We've seen it here with good managers. We've seen it with Lou Pinella and Bobby Ayala. Sometimes you, uh, a manager sees something in a pitcher that that uh, you know it blinds him to to some other things sometimes. And and I'll just attribute it to that with Scott Service that mm-hmm. he just there, there was something about Montero that he, he saw that that could work and just expected it to eventually come around and it didn't. Mm-hmm, no doubt. Speaking so. of coming around, John, I hope yeah. Jared Kelnick comes around pretty soon. I'm not. I'm not liking how he's looking. No, back. no. I mean, what is he now? 0 for 12 uh, in the last 12 at bats. I know. At well, one he point, he just looks helpless against left-handed pitching. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, and, may, um, may have the thought of sending him back down to Tacoma. You don't want to do it this fast, but I mean, yeah. he's got to he's got to show he's got to show a little more discipline at the plate. That's for sure. No doubt, and that's uh, it's concerning because I mean, what he had that 0 for 39 streak, uh, and then he went mm-hmm. down, and then he did well at Tacoma, and then of course now he's back. He first couple games he came in and did some good things, but now he's not doing good things. But what good things is on the agenda for the Gras this weekend? Great, great weekend for, for baseball at at at, uh, at the ballpark. The, I mean, just this series. You got the Yankees playing the the Red Sox this weekend. You got a lot of fun things going on. No doubt about it. And that's our weekly dose of the Graz with Dave Grosby. David, have yourself a great weekend and enjoy. John, talk to you next week, buddy. All right, sounds good. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. And our, our thanks to Matt Nelson for running the show. Our thanks to Matt Nelson for producing the show. 866-979-ESPN. 206-421-ESPN. Coming up, of course, next is going to be Seattle Sports Saturday. Let's go to Paul in Granite Falls. Hey, Paul. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, a few comments. A few comments. Uh, one, uh, of course, with uh, Russell Wilson. Um, I had spoken to you last week, and you had indicated uh, your feeling was that the Seahawks would be uh, probably winning the NFC West. Mm-hmm. And I think you you attributed that to Russ being the best quarterback in the division. Was that right? Uh, in part, yeah. Um, what other uh, factors would you uh, say that that makes the Seahawks the uh, the favorite for the NFC West? Well, several. I mean, first off, uh, as much of a good move it was for the Rams to get Matthew Stafford because he's better than Jared Goff is that uh, you know sure. that move put them in a cap situation where they lose four starters on defense. <clears throat> they lose Ooh. Gerald Everett at tight end. They lose their starting center, yeah. Austin Bly. They lose their third receiver in uh, Josh Reynolds. And then they find out this week that Cam Akers blew out as an Achilles as a running back. And so uh, right. they, they had a lot of losses. Now, they're still a playoff-caliber team, but how can you lose that many players and still be as good? And the only guy that they really added other than you know draft choices, and remember, they're in a spell of seven years where they don't have a first-round pick, is that uh, you know they uh, you know they got Deshaun Jackson, who's an oft-injured player now at the age of 34. <clears throat> where you look at Seattle, you know they you know, they were able to add. You know, they were able to get Gerald Everett. They were able to uh, go ahead and, you know, get Kerry Hyder. Uh, you know, they certainly have some issues at the cornerback position, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, but they were able to get Benson Mayoa back, Carlos Dunlap back. Uh, so, I mean, they've been able to add players where the Rams haven't been able to add players. And, you know, the 49ers, I think, have a chance to bounce back. But I still worry about their injury history because their recent injury history has been such that they've lost a lot of players. I mean, last year they had a, about 150, 155 missed starts. Wow. Well, uh, one point I thought about Russell is that uh, – I see him as having a breakout year, and here's why I feel that way. I think after all the uh, the commotion, I expect him to come back and play with a chip on his shoulder, mm-hmm. and I expect him to play kind of like he did the beginning of last year, if you remember that. Right, that was, right. That was unbelievable. Absolutely yeah. amazing. And, I mean, I, I had to pinch myself while I was watching him. 
Yeah, and of course, I, I, the big thing is now, some of that was against some bad defenses. <clears throat> he took advantage of that, oh. but he still took advantage sure. of it and did did a great job. You know, And I think that this offense is going to work with him even better because it gets the ball out quicker. I mean, you, you, you know, there's going to be more of a balance with the running game than he had last year. And I think that, uh, you know, you can see at least I saw it in uh, the OTAs and the minicamp. I mean, he does seem to be extra motivated uh, and, hmm. you know, is in good shape and all that stuff. So I, I do expect that he could have a good year. I, I just hope that they don't go back to the let Russ cook scenario where, you know, part, huh. part of the problem of this team last year was the fact that they threw the ball 60% of the time and ran it 40% of the time. And that was just too much because the more you throw, particularly in this offense or the way the offense was last year, you know, you have more interceptions. And of course, you know, as sure. Pete Carroll says, I mean, he, you, to, to succeed, you've got to win the turnover battle. Well, they struggled to win the turnover battle, so they struggled to win. But I think that Russ is all set for a really good season, and uh, that's why I still say, you know, because the Seahawks have been able to add, not subtract, that, uh, you know, they have a chance to really have a good year. Hey, thank you for the call. Thank you for all the calls today. And, of course, we'll be back next week from 8 until 11. Coming up next, Seattle Sports Saturday. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle.